Well, we are currently in a Christmas series called Christmas Gifts, and this morning, uh, or last week, excuse me, last week we actually talked about hope, and uh, this week we're going to be talking about peace. But before we get into anything else, let's go ahead and pray. Father, we thank you, God, just for the people that are here in this room. God, I pray that it would not be my words speaking this morning, but it would be you speaking through me. God, I pray that no matter how we've walked in here this morning, God, that uh, broken, messed up, God, whatever we've gone through through the week, God, that you would minister to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I don't know about you guys, um, but many times Christmas can be defined as two different things. It can be defined as chaotic, or it can be defined as something that is just awesome, incredible. Anybody in here, Christmas is your favorite holiday. Just, it's absolutely a wonderful time. But also, I know this. What we do many times for Christmas, there's a lot of people, it's like, just run, go, go, a lot of insanity. Anybody brave like the Black Friday shopping, you're trying to get Christmas gifts done? Maybe you, that's what your, black, that's what your Christmas looks like. It's, okay, I've got to get the presents, presents under the tree, I've got to get presents wrapped, my in-laws are coming over, so get the kids and put them in silly outfits and make them take silly pictures that they don't want to take. Yeah, or maybe you go out and you buy into this whole perspective of, hey, let me buy a gift for so-and-so and I want to impress them. And you buy a gift that you really can't afford but you want to impress your in-laws or whatever, so on and so forth. For many of us, Christmas can be pretty crazy. We've got people to buy for. We've got family to deal with. We've got all these things spiraling on. If you're like me, you're jumping on Christmas Eve, you're somewhere. Then on Christmas Day, you're trying to split it up between my family, then my wife's family, and you're, you're all over the place. And many of us are spread thin. And despite what a lot of commercials portray Christmas as, for most of us, we're stressed out. There's a lot of anxiety going on. There's a lot of things. How am I going to get everything done? Many of the wives in here, the ladies in here are thinking, how in the world am I going to get my house in order? I've got four kids or I've got five kids or three kids. And every time I clean it, they seem to destroy it in a matter of seconds, right? So you're thinking, how in the world am I going to get everything perfect? How in the world are my companies coming over in a few days? And it just doesn't seem like everything's going to pan out. But if we're honest, many of us, I think, are sold this bill of goods through media. You ever watch a commercial? And the commercial goes something like this during the Christmas holidays. It's a family sitting around a table drinking hot cocoa, there's Christmas music going, there's a fire, and everybody's just loving each other, and you're trying to play a game. Well, let me tell you how it goes in my family. Um, we get the fire going, we get the presents under the tree, and when it comes down to us wanting to just enjoy some family time, we all sit down, we're ready to play a board game, we've got hot chocolate, we're trying to get into the Christmas spirit, and as soon as you move the first piece on the game board, like, my two-year-old just has a blowout. And then the one-year-old is like screaming, and then you're trying to play sorry or a game, and you're actually sorry that you ever even started the game, right? It's just chaotic. It's not a lot of times what the movies or commercials portray it to be. So if we're honest in here, I think this holiday season, many of us are really stressed out. Many of us are searching for something called peace. Many of us are just going, God, I just want it to be peaceful this season. I just want to find some serenity, some tranquility, something that I can just ease my mind and enjoy the holidays. I'm going to start reading off 
in Isaiah. It'll be on the screen. Um, if you do not have a Bible, I do want to let you know that we do have a free one for you. If you do not own one, you can actually step out in the lobby there at our Connect table, and you can pick one of those up. But Isaiah 9, verse 6 says this. For a child is born to us, a son is given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and then get this part, Prince of Peace. Prince of Peace. So, after everything that I just described to you earlier, that sometimes Christmas can be chaotic and stressful, I think many of us begin to ask the question, if Jesus is the Prince of Peace, did he fail? Because I feel everything but peace, right? I think a lot of times during the Christmas holidays and during the Christmas season, we want peace, but we feel everything but peace. We feel like it's just not there. I think many of you, we, we come to church and believers are just stressed out. Believers are just anxious. There's no peace. Some of us are under so much financial strain we're trying to figure out how in the world am I going to put presents under the tree for my kids, right? I think it's just a legitimate fear that some of us have. Maybe you had a medical bill or maybe you had something come up and what you had planned and what you had hoped for this Christmas just didn't simply pan out. Or maybe some of us in here, we make more money than, than we ever have before. And for some reason, there's something going on in our heart that is just not peaceful. Like it seems like if you would go into your house and you would step into your life, it would seem like you have every reason to be peaceful, but something inside is just not right. Or maybe you turn on the news and you see everything but peace, right? I don't know if you've actually watched the news lately, but we've got car bombings. We've got school shootings just as recently. We've got racial tension going on. I don't know if you know this, but our our country right now is primed and ready for the church to rise up. It's just primed and ready for the church to be the church and the church to rise up. There's tension. There's a lot of dysfunction going on. There's countries at war. It seems like there's no peace. But Jesus in Isaiah says, I'm the prince of peace. So why is it as believers that many times, especially during this holiday season, we feel everything but peace? Maybe you ask the question, does authentic peace really exist or is it just something good dreams are made of? I want to read a story to you in Mark chapter 4, and we're going to camp out here pretty much the rest of the sermon. Mark chapter 4, verse 35. It says, On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, Let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was, and the other boats were with him. So the disciples, here's the picture. Jesus has just finished preaching to a crowd, and they want to get away to go on the other side to go see another crowd that he's going to end up preaching to. So they step into this boat, and this is what happens. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat so that the, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, get this, Jesus was in the stern asleep on the cushion. 
He's sleeping as the boat is about to go down. It's about to sink. And so the disciples come. They find him. They wake him up. And they say this to him. Teacher, do you not care that we're about to die? You ever been there? Ever been there? You're in this storm called life. You're in these circumstances that you're going, I don't know how I'm going to get out of this. And your prayer is like, God, where are you? You ever been there before? Like, I'm hurting, I'm struggling, I don't know how to get out of this. God, where the heck are you? That's what the disciples are doing. So Mark 4, 37 tells us this. A great windstorm arose. Now, other translations would actually say this. Suddenly, a great windstorm arose. Suddenly. Now, here's what I want you to know. There's something very peculiar about that word suddenly because most of the disciples were actually fishermen. They fished for a living. So they knew if a storm was coming. So before they ever got in the boat, if they knew that a storm was coming, they probably would have told Jesus, hey, Jesus, it's not a good idea that we get in the boat right now because the clouds don't look so good. It looks like it's about to storm. We should probably hold off. So if I was just guessing... The storm and the, I mean, the clouds and everything was probably perfect. And the disciples probably looked at it and said, hey, the temperatures look great. Let's go to the other side. That's why this word suddenly is so important because they get into the boat. They're not expecting anything to happen. They're going, hey, everything's going to be smooth sailing. We're going to get in the boat. We're going to go on the other side. It's kind of like those, those cruise ships that have gone awfully wrong lately, right? The passengers, they're like, we're going to get on board, we're going to enjoy it, we're going to have a great vacation, and then what happens? Like the engine shuts down and everything. It's not what you expected it to be. So the disciples, they know the weather, they're able to tell, usually predict it. They get into the boat and something suddenly comes that throws them off guard. Many of life's storms are sudden. Many things that disrupt our peace are sudden. They're unexpected. Let's just be honest. When a spouse is caught being unfaithful, that's sudden, right? That's something you weren't planning for. That's something that you weren't expecting. It just happens. And it wrecks your world. Or maybe your job gets terminated and you go into work and you just thought everything was going to be good and you get that pink slip and they say, hey, you're done. That's a sudden change. Or maybe there's been a wreck or there's been an accident and work. There's sudden storms that are taking place that you had no time to prepare for, no time to plan for. They just happen. But I think over the past few weeks, I've talked a lot about, you know, that day. Everybody's going to have that day comes when certain things or you get that phone call or your mom has cancer or somebody passes away. But I think oftentimes what ends up robbing our peace is not necessarily those things, although those things do rob our peace. But I think more likely for most of us, what robs our peace is the simple, mundane, routine things that we do every single day. So let me give you a few examples. Um, one example of something that may rob your peace, if you're a mom in here, many moms spend their day stuck in the same house with the same kids every single day. Right? That can rob your peace. Because you're going, is there any purpose to my life other than managing and feeding mouths? <laughs> is there? Or maybe, um, let me give you an example. Yesterday, my wife went out with my mom and uh, my sister and I think a few other uh, girls and they went shopping. And, and so I was stuck at home with all four kids. 
Uh, can I just tell you something? I cannot hang. <laughs> I can't. Like, I just, I can't do it. Um, because I'm, I'm there from 9.30 all the way to about 5 o'clock with four kids. And by the time she got home, I was like, baby, I, 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 I don't know. I got to get out of here. I'm freaking stressed. I am like, I'm about to blow up. You know, she's like, hey, this is what I do every day. I'm like, well, listen, you are incredible. Because there's no way I could do this every single day. Like, I've done it thousands of times for a few hours. And I've done it a few times, um, you know, during the whole day. But yesterday I had a bunch to do. I still had my sermon that I was trying to, to plan for and pray through. So I've got that on my mind. And then we've got kids who, and, and for some reason my 10-month-old is just in this habit of blowing his diaper up all the time. So I'm constantly dealing with that. And so if you're a mom in here, I think more often those are probably things that are going to rob your peace. Because you look at your life and you say, is there any purpose? I'm stuck in this house. I'm raising kids. God, what the heck are you doing? Right? When, when you begin to realize, and I begin to see even my kids and just what they're learning and what they're doing and how they're, um, how they're acting, that's all attributed to my wife. Most of it is attributed to my wife. So God is using her to be able to train and to teach our kids. Or maybe something else that robs your peace is maybe you just... One day you wake up in the morning and you don't know why, but you're just depressed. You don't want to get out of bed. You just, you're like, why wake up today? Why? Why have any purpose to my life right now? Or maybe your marriage, maybe it's not bad, but it's just boring. Maybe it's not bad, but it's just boring. Maybe you look at other couples and you say, man, they just seem like they're having fun and we're just so boring. Maybe it robs your peace. Maybe your bank account loves the color red. <laughs> Maybe it just loves the color red. Maybe it's always in the red, and it, just, and it just constantly robs your peace. And so, yet again, I bring this back to that question. Jesus is saying, okay, I am the prince of peace. I am the author of peace. But it seems like in this holiday season, or maybe in just in your life in general, you're going, God, where? How? Why? I don't feel any peace. Tim Keller says this. He says, no matter what precautions we take, no matter how well we have put life together, a good life, no matter how hard we have worked to be healthy, wealthy, comfortable with friends and family, and successful with our career, something will inevitably ruin it. Something will inevitably always ruin it. So, here's the deal. And this is what I think we find in Mark chapter 4. Often when storms come, we panic and we forget who Jesus is. We panic and we forget what Jesus has done for us in the past. We panic and we forget that Jesus once healed us and he once restored us and he once redeemed us. We panic just like the disciples and go, God, don't you care? I'm about to die. Right? We panic. But here's what I want to assure you of this morning. We can be sure of one thing, that God does, he does not share our panic. God does not get surprised. God is not thrown off guard. God never says, wow, I never saw that one coming. 
God never looks down on anybody in this room and says, wait, what the heck? Why, why is this person here? You weren't supposed to be born until like 2018. There's nothing that throws him off guard. So whenever that storm is coming, whenever that thing is coming to rob your peace, you have to know one thing. God is not surprised. He is not shocked. He is not overwhelmed. So the question is, why does God allow us to go through storms? And I think that's a fair question. After all, he knows everything. He's all-powerful. He could easily prevent the storm, right? Right? I mean, the storm that happened with the disciples in the boat, I mean, Jesus could have just prevented it altogether. So why does God allow sudden storms or interruptions to our peaceful lives? I don't know if you've ever heard this quote before, and I'm pretty sure you have, um, and maybe you don't know where it came from, but this is actually from Mother Teresa, and she says this, I know God will not give me anything I can't handle. I just wish that he didn't trust me so much. Now, here's the deal. It's a clever line. It is. It's a clever line, but it's not right. It's not right. He will, in fact, give you far more than you can handle. God will, in fact, give you far more than you can handle. Let's just be honest. Let me, let me give you a few examples to support my claim. Foreclosure on your home. That's more than you can handle. Right? Um, let me give you another one. Unfaithfulness to a spouse. That's more than you can handle. You lose a loved one. That's more than you can handle. Right? Here's the key. Here's how that line should be said. He will never give you more than he can handle. God will never give you more than he can handle. The storm is not ours to bear alone. So here's, here's the trick. Do not get so distracted that you take the storm on yourself and forget that Jesus is in the boat with you. That's what happens oftentimes in life. Oftentimes when our peace is disrupted, we want to take it on our own shoulders. And we forget that Jesus is in the boat. And we forget that when we're sinking and we're going down and going, God, where the heck are you? We forget what God has done for us in the past. I mean, let's just be honest. If, if many of us could reflect on how far God has brought us, that's a testimony right there, right? Maybe, maybe at one point you were in an unfruitful or unfaithful relationship, and now you're in a solid relationship. Maybe at one point you weren't serving and you weren't loving Jesus, and now, yes, do you still have issues? Yes, are you still battling things? Are you still um, struggling with things? Sure, but you're not where you were. Matthew eleven twenty eight says this. Jesus said to me, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And here's the part right here that I want you to dwell on this morning. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So God will never give you more than he can handle. Because you know why? The burden that you carry is nothing for him. Nothing. You weren't designed to take on that weight. God allows us to go through storms so that we can hand them right back to him. So that we hand them right back to him. So the number one, I want to make two, three points this morning. Number one is this. 
the Lord of the storm sends us into the storm to remind us that he is with us. The Lord of the storm sends us into the storm to remind us that he is with us. So let me, let me put it this way. God in his grace sends us into the storm to give us a testimony. Here's, here's the cool thing. Some of you have been beaten up. Some of you have got scars. Some of you have got wounds. But here's what I love about scars. Is that they prove that our God is a healer. Sometimes he sends us into that to say, hey... There's some stuff in your life, and the only way that it's going to come out is if you face some adversity. But I love you so much that I'm going to put you in this so I can bring you to a place that is going to be even better. And you may kick, and you may scream in the middle of it, and it may not feel good, but I promise you, it's for your good and for your joy. Let's continue reading in Mark 4. This is what happens. This is right after the disciples say, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And I love Jesus. This is what he says. He says, And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? Some of you have been saved for a long time. A long time. And sometimes we've just got to reflect on what God has done for us. Because Jesus is saying, you've been with me. Don't you know who I am? Why are you afraid? And this is verse 41. And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Now I want you to reflect on something with me. I was looking through uh, the Gospels last night. And, and trying to go, okay, so what had the disciples actually seen before this storm? What had they witnessed Jesus do already? And I listed a few. So they have seen Jesus rebuke and cast out demons. They've seen him turn water into wine, or at least heard of him doing it. They've seen him heal lepers. They've seen him heal the paralytic. They've seen him heal withered hands. So why is it that the disciples have so easily forgotten what Jesus has done? I want you to get this this morning. The disciples were so focused on the current crisis that they had forgotten who Jesus was and what he could do. The disciples were so focused on the storm, they were so focused that water was coming in and their boat was going to sink, that all of them forgot that Jesus was in the boat. And all of them forgot what previously Jesus had done. They forgot the power that he had possessed. Number two, the Lord of the storm is always above the storm. The Lord of the storm is always above the storm. Make no mistake, storms will come if they haven't already. Actually, Jesus promises this to us. In 1 Peter, it says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange was happening to you. Jesus promises it. He says, if you're going to follow me, it's coming. The storm is going to happen. It's not a matter of will it. It's a matter of when. 
I don't know why, and I don't speak like this often, but I think the reason, and for some of you, you've heard me share on some of these things of like, hey, that day is going to come, or you know, you're going to get that phone call. The past few weeks, I've just really felt like I need to prepare some of you for that. And I'm not, I'm not preaching anything negative over you, but I'm just telling you this. That there are sudden and unexpected things that life can throw at you. And if you're not ready for them, it will rob your peace. It will destroy your faith. And it's going to be hard to hang on. The greatest comfort in your life is that while you're in the storm, that Jesus is still on the throne. That Jesus is not thrown off guard. He's not surprised. He actually knows exactly what you're going through. Jesus was persecuted. He was betrayed. He experienced poverty and anger. He was tempted, and he knows your trial. He knows your struggle. But I want you to remember this. In the midst of the storm, in the midst of this storm that the disciples are facing, Jesus rebukes it, and in an instant, he says, peace be still, and there was peace. Jesus is always above the storm. You may think to yourself, I am in so deep, I'm stuck so much in this situation that there's absolutely no way that I could possibly get out of it. He's always above it. Always. I don't care if you're struggling financially. I don't care if you're struggling with addictions. I don't care whatever it is that you're battling this morning. He's always above the storm. Always. Even the wind and the waves obey Jesus. Everything. If he says it, if he says peace be still, it is still. So I want to read a story. If you've grown up in church, you've probably heard it. But I want to take a different spin on it this morning. In Matthew 7, um, starting in verse 24, it says this. This is Jesus speaking. It says, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house. But it did not fall, because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house. And it fell, and great was the fall. Here's what I want you to notice. Did one house get the harsh weather and the other not? No. Both houses got hit with the storm. Both houses got hit with circumstances. Both houses got hit with news of, hey, I don't know if they're going to make it. Both houses got hit with something, and maybe you're just in that mundane routine of, I don't know what I'm doing or what my purpose is here. Both houses experienced trial. Both houses experienced sudden storms. But only one withstood the storm. What's the difference? One trusted Jesus enough to obey him and one did not. 
One trusted Jesus enough to obey him and one did not. This passage makes it very clear that we're all searching for something to put our foundation on. All of us. We're all searching to say, I want peace. I, 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 want, to, I want to anchor down on something. The question for the Christian is this. What is exposed in your heart when a storm or a trial comes? In its difficult moments, we see our peace being tied to something other than Christ. So here's what you get in this story in Matthew. You've got one guy who builds his house on Jesus. Ultimately, there, there's the parallel going on. His hope, his peace, his joy, his faith is founded on Jesus. And so when the storm comes and difficult news comes and things happen, he knows that Jesus is constant. He knows that Jesus is solid and it doesn't matter because he knows that his house is built on the rock and ultimately that Jesus is above any storm that he's going to face. Then you get another one that says, okay, I'm going to build, and listen to this, I'm going to build my house on, I'm going to go to church every Sunday. Uh, I'm going to build my house on, I'm going to get involved in a life group. All these things are good things. I'm going to build my house on being a better person and trying not to sin so much and being moral and being good. I'm going to stop doing this. I'm going to stop doing that. But let me tell you something. If your faith and if your peace is not founded on Jesus alone, it's rocky. Because if you're finding peace in what you own or what you possess or the job that you have or how good of a mother you are or how good of a mother you're not, or how good of a father you are, or how bad of a father you are. If your peace is found in any kind of identity that this world brings you, it's sand. It's like building your house on sand. And when storms come, that's why we get so disillusioned. We go, what, God? We start asking questions, God, where were you? Why would you allow this to happen to me? I can't believe this. I've seen many good people, quote-unquote good people, they get frustrated and angry at God because something happened. And their faith wasn't founded on Jesus, it was founded on how good their circumstances were. Let's just be honest, I think a lot of us don't really want peace, we want calm conditions. If things are going smoothly in our life, then we deceive ourselves and say, Hey, everything's good, right? I've got peace. Finances are good. Kids are good. Marriage is good. And it can look good for a season. But if your peace is founded on how calm your conditions are right now, it's rocky. Because it's only going to last for so long. It's only a matter of time until a storm hits. So in this passage... We see our need for security or protection, but we don't go to the author of peace. So many of us are searching for security, so we, we place that peace, like we feel at peace when our bank account is full. Or, or we feel at peace when we're, when we're safe and everything's taken care of. Instead of going to Jesus to give us that peace. So, in his grace, he sends us a storm to expose 
misplaced affections and allegiances. He sends us a storm to reveal our heart. The reason he allows storms to happen is because this, for the rest of your life, he wants to make you look more like himself. And there's always going to be things in your heart that need to come out. Nobody's above that, including myself. And the reason that God sends trials, and the reason that God sends storms, some may be more difficult than others, is because he loves us so much, and in his grace, he just wants us to look a little bit more like him. And you may not understand it right now. You may look at your circumstance in your life and you say, God, I, I don't get this. And sometimes, to be honest with you, that's okay. It's okay to have questions. It's okay to go, God, I don't, I don't understand. And, and can I be real with you? Sometimes you have to be okay when there's no answer. Because sometimes there is none. I, I can't... If somebody sat here and said, give me a good reason or an answer of why God allows certain things to happen across the world, I can't tell you. I mean, we could start trying to break it down, and I'm sure we could formulate a few answers, and I'm sure a bunch of them would be wrong. I can't tell you why God allows kids across the world to go hungry. I, I can't give you an answer to that. But I do know this, that the reason that he allows some of that to happen is sometimes it reveals our own selfish motives. What does that do in other people? When they catch on, they go, man, there's, there's injustice here. There's things that are going on. The church are we. We need to rise up and do something about that. What does that do? That propels you into action. That allows you to evaluate your own heart and say, hey, are there things in my own life that I need to cut out so that I can give to this situation? chances are that was just an opportunity for God to say, okay, now you're getting it. Now you're looking a little bit more like me. So if our source of peace is on the rock, the wind and the waves can come, but we will not fall because we are planted on the rock. So here's the deal. I want to switch gears a little bit and talk to you guys about right now, about this season that we're in, about Christmas about the holidays. My wife and I were talking last night and she had brought up this point and I thought it was so good so I just added it and changed my message a little bit. So this one's not going to be in your notes. Um, number three, third point that I want to make. And this deals with right now. The Christmas blues are quickly approaching. They're quickly approaching. What do I mean by that? Christmas is without a doubt the best holiday of the year. It is. It's just there's something about it that is magical. Obviously, there's all these things going on. I mean, it, you haven't, in my house at least, um, we haven't done it this year, so I guess we can't officially kick it off, but uh, you cannot officially start Christmas until you watch Elf. You just, you gotta throw in Elf and like once that plays, Christmas begins. But Christmas is a time of so many traditions we watch movies, we go caroling, which you will never see me do. Um, you do. You hand out candy canes, you get in parades, you, you do all this stuff, and there's all these exciting things going on. And there's all these things to look forward to. 
Lights, music, movies, presents, family, time off, vacation. But if you're not careful, you will quickly find your peace in the wonder of the holidays. But before you know it, the holidays will be over, and if your peace is wrapped up in the holidays, it will quickly disappear. Let me give you an example to explain what I'm talking about. When I was a kid, my parents had this way of um, always exciting us with certain things. And so, particularly, I remember one time we were going to go to Florida on vacation. And I remember my dad, it's probably about January, it was probably, probably about March or February. And he says, hey, boys, listen, he said, in June, I just want you guys to know to get ready and so you guys can begin to prepare. We're going to go to Florida and we're going to have a good time. We're going to go on vacation. So for months, my brothers and I, all we talked about were the white sand beaches of Florida and how we're going to go surfing in the waves and we're just going to enjoy it. It's going to be an incredible time. And for months, we found much joy in these conversations. And we had a great time talking about it. And we had a great time planning and preparing for this vacation because we knew it was going to be awesome. And then finally, June rolls around. And vacation is a whole week long of no school, of just wake up whenever you want and go sit on the beach and eat good food and, and just enjoy it. And we had a blast. And it was fun. And it was good family times. And even now I can still sit down with you and tell you of just memories that we've had there. One particular memory, my brother would be mad if I shared this with you, but he got stung by a jellyfish. You know, one of those ones. And uh, my dad didn't know what to do. He's screaming. He gets out of the water. My dad's like, um, rub sand on it. <laughs> so he's like rubbing sand on his jellyfish burn. And we get to the lifeguard and we're like, what should we do? We just got some with a jellyfish. He's like, whatever you do, don't rub sand on it. <laughs> so anyway, he like spread it all up his leg. It was hilarious. But so we're enjoying this vacation. And then this crazy thing happens. We come home. Back to reality. And then as kids, like we're like, what do we talk about now? We've got nothing to look forward to. Until my dad would come back and say, hey, in December, we're going to go do this. And so then we're constantly looking forward to that time and that moment. And then when you finally jump into that moment and you finally experience it, it's over. It's gone. It's a piece that is there for a moment. It's very fooling, and then it leaves. And if you're not careful, that's what the holidays can be. You're going to have family come in. You're going to have good conversations. You're going to open presents. You're going to have all this hype. Your kids are going to be excited. If your peace is found in the holidays and what's going on right in this time, in this season, and if it's not founded on the rock, if it's not rooted in Jesus, it's not going to last long. Our peace is Jesus, the one who was born in the manger that endured the sin of the world for you and me. That's where we find our peace. We don't find our peace in heightened holiday experiences. This season is an incredible season. It's an incredible season to remember that Jesus, in the most obscure ways, came to earth. Think about this. The Christmas story when you get into the details, is everything but peaceful. 
So let me, let me give it to you this way, and we'll close. So you've got Mary, who's a teenage girl, that has to go back to her friends and say, hey, um, so, or has to go back to her, at the time, fiancé, or, or, or husband, and say, listen, I didn't cheat on you. Um, God got me pregnant. <laughs> okay, <laughs> how does that work? Right? You imagine that conversation? Joseph was so distraught that a, an angel had to actually come to him and say, hey, listen, God really did. Okay, I guess I believe it now. That's what would have to happen to me if my wife came to me and said, listen, God, like, God, you better send me an angel. <laughs> I need an angel. Right? So she gets pregnant. Nine months later, has to leave her town. Why? Because Herod's killing kids because he hears about this Messiah that's coming in. Or they actually have to go back to Bethlehem to register, and that's where, that's where um, Joseph was from. So they go back. They get into town. Imagine this, ladies. She's in labor. And Joseph is going, I need to find a place for my wife to have this baby. He goes to every hotel, every inn. Is there any room? No, zero room. Finally, he gets to this one person. Do you have any room? He's like, listen, I don't have any room, but I got this barn. It's got some animals. It stinks, but hey, you guys can have it. You imagine that, that conversation between Mary and Joseph. Hey, babe, um, I found a place. Awesome. Okay, where is it? Is it, is it com well, <laughs> it's in a barn. Are you serious? In a barn. Yeah, it's, it's in a barn. So Jesus, the Prince of Peace, the Savior of the world, comes to us in the most unpeaceful conditions. He's the King of the world. Shouldn't he be born in a kingly manner? I think the Christmas story has a lot to say about you and I. Some of you have come from the most obscure situations. Maybe some of the most messed up family backgrounds or you say, my story is everything but holy. I want you to know this morning that Jesus relates with you. He was born in the most obscure of places. I think to prove to us that no matter what we're going through, that he shares your pain. He knows what you're going through. He knows what you're dealing with. And he is the Prince of Peace. And if your life is founded upon that rock, when storms come, when trials come, when persecution comes, you can still know peace. Do you know that it's possible to go through storms and go through trials and still have peace? You know that's possible? He's the Prince of Peace. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for who you are. God, we love you. God, we thank you that this morning, God, no matter our background, no matter where we've come from or what we've done, God, that you've come to give us peace. God, I pray for those that are anxious, God, that are full of fear, God, for those that are stressed out. 
God, that this morning they would find peace in you. God, that even this morning, God, just as you did in Mark with the disciples, when you looked at the storm and you said, peace be still. God, I pray that you would do that for many of us in here. God, they're battling rocky situations. God, they're in a storm right now. God, we speak peace over them. Thank you for what you're going to do. In Jesus' name, amen.